Okay, so um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. The, um, the date on your outline is wrong. I'm really sorry. It's actually September the 18th. You didn't lose a week of your life. Not the 25th. Okay, so in full disclosure, I have to say this. Um, a lot of times, I, I, I try not to say this stuff because I don't want to offend people, but I figure early on, you can't, you can't get offended anyway. You have, to, you have to actually take offense. I don't know if you know that, but that's a whole other teaching. So I try not to because I don't, I don't want to just do stuff to, sh- to shock people. But at the same time, I feel like it's important that I tell you where God showed me what I'm getting ready to tell you. Okay, and and believe me, I've tried many ways to to describe this, and it just is not the same if I don't tell you exactly how God gave me this message. And then we'll talk about it briefly, and then we'll stop, and then we'll go on. Okay, so here it'll make sense in a minute. Years ago, I was shopping with my wife for a, a birthday present for her mother. The one and only time that I went shopping with my, with my wife for a birthday present for her mother. She was going to hear this, and it's going to be terrible. Anyway, and so we're walking in Belks in the lingerie department, which was awkward, admittedly. And I turned the corner, and when I turned the corner, I walked right into the Wonder Bra displays, which is, I don't know how you guys, men are, but... I don't do like Victoria's Secret. I don't, I don't do the lingerie departments of any store because it's awkward for me because, one, I don't know where, I don't even look up. I just want to look down the whole time. And then you, you walk into stuff and people, and it's just embarrassing. So, um, but anyway, I saw the Wonder Bras, and God spoke to me directly in that moment. And he said, that's what's wrong with the American church. And I said, I mean, I have this little dialogue with God in the lingerie department of Belks. And I said to God, Wonder Bras is what's wrong with the American church? And he said, yes. I said, because pastors are wearing them? I, I, don't, I, don't, what, I don't understand what you mean. Are we not uplifting? <laughs> what well, I don't understand. You know, what, what are you saying to me, God? I don't understand. And he said this, and this is at the very top of your sheet. I'm going to tell you what he told me, and then I'm going to explain it. He said, and you know, this is sad, by the way, that I can tell you that if there was ever a time that I think I may have audibly heard the voice of God, this would be it. I mean, usually people are like, you know, there's, the band was playing and angels were singing. I'm in the lingerie department of Belks looking at Wonder Bros. And God said to me, do you just want to improve or do you really want to change? Now, let me try to explain what I think that meant to me in that moment. The Wonder Bra industry, I'm trying not to be, I'm trying to be, (laughs) well, not me. (laughs) Anyway, the Wonder Bra industry is built on people who just want to improve. They do not want to change. If they wanted to change, they would have surgery. Am I right? But they just want to improve. And even worse, they want to appear to have what they don't. Okay, so that's all we'll say about that, okay? And God said that's exactly what's wrong with the American church. They want to improve. They don't really want to change. 
They want to appear to have what they do not. And at some point, it becomes obvious that they were appearing to have what they did not. So if you want more than improvement, you'll have to move past four outs on the way to lasting change. Mark chapter 8. This is a great story in the Bible. If you want more than improvement, you'll have to move past four outs on the way to lasting change. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 22. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village, and when he had spit on the man's eyes, yes, that's exactly what the Bible says, when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. I see dead people. I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and then his eyes were, re were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Out number one, overwhelming drama. Drama. You can't read verse 22 and not catch a little bit of the drama going on. Some people, some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. I will say that there was the most fervent prayer I ever prayed in my life was right after Wendy and I had gotten married. And it wasn't because we'd gotten married that I prayed the most fervent prayer of my life. It was because she got sick, and we were living in Columbia, the home of Piggly Wiggly. Yes, there's no Piggly Wigglies up here. We need Piggly Wigglies up here. That's a great store. Everybody down there calls them Hoggly Wogglies. Anyway, so she's sick, and I came home, and she said, Paul, um, I don't feel good, and... We don't have um, any crackers in the house. Can you go down to Piggly Wiggly and get some crackers? And so I drove down in our 81 Toyota Celica, which was an awesome car because you could pull the key out and it would still run. I have a great story about that, but we don't have time for it now. Um, so I drive down to Piggly Wiggly. I get the crackers. I bring them home, and I'm like the husband. I'm the man, right? Here you go, baby. And she took them. And then about 20, 30 minutes later, she's like, oh, we don't have any peanut butter. Can you run down to the pig and get some peanut butter? Yeah, anything for you, baby, anything for you. So we run down. To, I go down to the pig, and I get some peanut butter, and I bring it back. Here you go, baby. Everything's great. Until about 20, 30 minutes later, she said, I don't have any ginger ale. And on the way back to the Piggly Wiggly in the car, I said this, God, heal her. She's driving me crazy. That's the drama that's going on in this verse. Some people, it doesn't even name the people. It doesn't even say that they're his friends. Some people brought a blind man to Jesus and begged him to touch him. Please, Jesus, this guy is driving us crazy. Overwhelming drama. They begged him. Literally means to entreat, to call to one side. So basically these people said to Jesus, look, can you come here a second? We need to talk to you. Take this man off our hands. Another way to translate that word beg would be demand or nag. So they're nagging Jesus because this guy's driving them crazy. Um, let me tell you this. Drama wears people out. You know this, right? Because you know people that are into drama. And don't they get on your nerves? Guess what? Your drama gets on their nerves too. Drama just wears people out. Their drama 
wears you out, your drama wears them out. And the gathering is going to be a place full of drama. Now, that might make some of you leave, and that's okay. But this will be a place, because this is going to be a house where people who are hurt, who are in the middle of drama, come. They're going to bring their drama with them. We're going to be a verse 22 church. People are going to come in and beg Jesus here to touch their friend because their friend is driving them nuts. Sometimes it's the drama that gets people near Jesus. And how they get to Jesus isn't nearly as important as the fact that they get to Jesus. I could ask you right now, you could name four or five people in your life who are driving you crazy right now. Because they're, they're bugging you. They're wanting, they're wanting you to do something to fix their situation. You tell them what to do, and they go, that's good. And the next day, it's like you never told them. And they're asking you the same questions again. And at some point, don't you just want to go, look. Like my girlfriend told me one time, she said, don't be sorry, just change. Because I'd always joke around with her, and I'd always go, I'm sorry, I'm just joking. She said, don't be sorry, just change. I'm like, oh, wow, that's a great line. And you want to tell that to people that have drama in their life, right? Look, just, just change, just change. Out number one, overwhelming drama. Drama is a hassle, but it can't become a hindrance. So why is that the first out? Because some of us will actually never see people go all the way to a place where God wants to change them because as soon as the drama starts, we're out. We just can't be that. We can't be those people. Out number two, necessary discomfort. Verse 23 is probably the oddest verse in the whole Bible. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? First thing I want you to notice is that he took the man outside the village, which is cool to me because that means that he took the man away from the place where he'd been labeled. I don't know if you've ever been labeled, but it's no fun, right? You ever been talked about? You get, you get a bad reputation for something that you didn't even do? It's hard to get rid of that, isn't it? It's like you could, you could take out ads on Fox, MSNBC, CBS, ABC, PBS, even if you're desperate. You could take out ads and run them 30, th three times a day, 30 minutes at a time, explaining with all the facts why what they said about you isn't true. It's still hard to get rid of the label. People are labeled, and Jesus took this man by the hand, and he leads them away, leads him away from the place that had labeled him, took him outside the village. It also means that this, that being led requires trust. We're saying, give me more, I want to trust you more, because we have to actually trust Jesus when he leads us outside the village. Some of you, um, you're in a place where you're miserable, but you're comfortable, I don't really want to be changed because I'm kind of happy. Like, your misery has become your story. You tell it over and over and over again. It's like you, you've got people in your life, you don't even ask them how they are anymore. Because you can tell them. You, want, you should walk up and go, look, I'll tell you how you are. Your left, your left knee hurts. you got bursitis. You've got a toothache. Your job's going horribly. You're barely hanging on. You can't stand your friend who always calls you because they've told you over and over and over again. It requires trust when we get led out of our comfort zone. 
And unless we recognize the difference in Jesus' touch, this will be the second out. Um, notice the difference. Verse 22, what happened to the man? How did he get to Jesus? Who remembers? Please touch him. They just brought him to Jesus. And in the very next verse, it says, and then Jesus took him by the hand and led him. Uh, look, I want you to know this. If, you're, if you identify with a blind man, Jesus' touch is very different from the people's touch around you. They're just like, like me praying for Wendy. Like I didn't really care for her to get healed. I just didn't want to go to pick a wiggle anymore. So there, it's a selfish prayer. I mean, Jesus' touch is not selfish. He takes, I mean, I'm thinking if I, the blind guy is going, this feels different. Something about this feels different. I don't know where we're going, but it feels different. This, this guy touches me different than everybody else. Jesus' touch is different. He took, the hand, took him by the hand and led him. And then he spit in the dude's eyes. I mean, when I read that, the first thing I thought was, at least he didn't see it coming, right? I mean, that's the only saving grace here. I don't understand. I want to go, Jesus, what's the deal, man? I mean, I know in that culture, they did believe that the spit from a holy man was also holy. They believed that there was some healing virtue in spit. I'm so glad that we don't believe that today. I mean, it would probably make the emergency rooms and doctor's offices less crowded. Uh, Doc, I got this hurt back here. He's like, oh, no, I don't believe in spit. I mean, well, can you imagine that? People walking out of the doctor's offices, like, just wiping stuff off their face. Just nasty. He spit on the guy's eyes. That's a little bit uncomfortable. Um, the, the cool thing about it is, Here's where the guy's at, pushed by people that don't like him, taken by a man outside the village, spit rolling down his face. That sums the story up to this point. And in that scenario, Jesus asked him a question that gave him room for the third out. Here's the question. Do you see anything? I don't know what your answer would be there, um, but it's a simple yes or no question, isn't it? Did he give him a simple yes or no answer? No. The um, third out is not, I love your presence. Honest desperation. Here's where we need to hang out for a minute. Because this is where the American church is. We have built a whole culture around this out. Conferences, camps, retreats, really good worship services, awesome worship bands, really good speakers. We have done everything we can to put us in a place where we can leave and experience and feel like we've improved our walk with Jesus, but we've never really changed. Jesus asked the blind man with spit coming down his face, do you see anything? And if he only wanted to improve, what would he have said? Yes. He would have said, yes, I do. I see something, and I'm good. Thank you very much, man who spit in my face. But instead, he said, I, I, I kind of see something 
looks like trees walking around. And let's just interpret it, okay? Here's what the man said to Jesus. I'm willing for you to spit on me again. When's the last time that you had a conversation that honest with God? The last time that you said to Jesus, you kind of did it. Are you that desperate? I mean, are we that desperate to change? Am I that desperate to do more than just improve? Am I willing to look at Jesus and say, nice try? I mean, we're talking about Jesus, right? I mean, if there was ever the pressure to say, yeah, man, that's great, thanks. I can see now. It would be now, wouldn't it? But this guy is so desperate to change, to do more than just walk away improved, that he actually looks at Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, spoke the word at creation, and said, you didn't do it. You might want to give it another shot. And that's honest desperation. That's why the church has no real change. Because we don't really want to. We want to just get better. We don't want to be better. We're content with doing a little bit better than we did last week. Do you know people like that? Hey, uh, I know you, you've, been, you've been struggling with, like, cussing all the time because you asked me to pray for you. How's that going? Oh, it's going pretty good, man. I've, I've only cussed out three people this week. It's like, there's some things that you can have a gradual improvement for. Like mass murdering is not one of them, right? How's that murdering problem? Dude, I'm doing so well. I've only killed two people this week. I used to kill five. Some things you don't want a gradual cure. You want God to change you, right? Do we really want him to change us? The people that you know in your life that have drama going on, when's the last time you told them, you know what? God doesn't want you just to clean up a little bit. He wants to change you totally. And sometimes to do that, he spits on you. Sometimes he makes you feel uncomfortable in order for you to change so many people live paycheck to paycheck with God, and here's what I mean by that. They, they're always finding something that has a better payout. Look, I'll just be honest with you. If you're looking for a church that has a really nice payout that you can pat yourself on the back and walk out every Sunday and go, no, that was awesome. This might not be yours. I mean, people talking, cars driving by, Baby's in a, and we got a nursery, they're still crying. I mean, yeah, who knows? This is, not, this is not the place. People walk in and they've got messed up lives. And we don't get to enjoy it because we're always on the edge being uncomfortable because we're always asking God to change them and not improve them. Ministry's messy. Ministry doesn't make us feel good. Ministry's not a big payout unless you see it with a kingdom mindset. People live paycheck to paycheck with God. I'm going to go to this church now because they make me feel better. And now that I'm not getting what I need here, they're not giving me a raise. They don't have a good worship leader. So I'm going to go to this other church because they got a new band and they're fantastic. Better, bigger payout. We just go paycheck to paycheck with God because we don't, want ever, we don't ever want to change. When you're desperate for change, you're willing to risk anything in order for change so if you hang in at out three, if you don't take the out, if you say to God, look, I'm so desperate, I'm willing to be honest with you. I'm willing to answer you honestly, God. 
No, you didn't really do a good job. Touch me again. Even if you spit on me, just touch me again. If you're willing to do that, you hang on. Now you're getting to the place where you can be changed. Verse 25 says, then, only at this point of the story was the man restored. Was he able to see everything clearly? But being changed and living changed are different, and that's where out number four comes in. Intentional distance. Um, if we're always serving the fun Jesus, if we're always serving the Jesus that, you know, is in the paintings with the long flowing hair and the halo and, you know, he always has a nice word for everybody, then we have a hard time reconciling this story because at the end of the story, he doesn't have a nice word for this guy. He says, um, listen, don't go to the village. But I want to. I want to tell everybody what you just did. Mm -mm, don't go to the village. Do not go to the village. Intentionally distance yourself from where you were. Because he was changed outwardly with sight, but he was also changed inwardly. In this little story, three or four verses, Jesus not only gave the guy sight, but he gave him a new identity. Because remember when he took him by the hand and let him out, he had a label. What was the label? The blind guy. Yeah, you're just a blind guy. Probably a beggar. That's how people knew him in his village. And so when Jesus healed him, when he gave him his sight back, when he did something on the inside to change his identity, he said, now don't go back to the same place you were. Do you know people like that? I, all I can relate it to is like little kids. You get them, like you give them a shower, you get them all cleaned up, and then they go back outside and play again. I just gave you a shower. I just got, you're clean. What are you doing? You, but you know people that do it spiritually all the time. Maybe you do it spiritually all the time. You leave a service, you leave that paycheck to paycheck thing, that really good event, and you feel really good and you're improved. You have, you like, maybe read your Bible for four days in a row. And then you go right back to the stuff that pulls you down. And Jesus is very clear. Don't go into the village. Intentionally distance yourself from where you've been. They know you one way. I've made you a different way. I have changed you. Don't go back. But I need to go back. I need to tell them about Jesus. And I think Jesus is smart enough to know that if we go back right away to those people, there's no way we're telling them about Jesus. We might try. <laughs> hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Hey, tell me about Jesus. Just hold this beer and drink it while you do it. Okay. That's really good. <laughs> you know, he's smarter than we are. Jesus knows us. He's at the gathering going to send us to people who are far from him so that their lives can be changed, which means that we have the responsibility of helping them get rid of their old identity. Here's why people get pulled back into their old identity, because it's comfortable, right? It requires no thinking and no effort. I was reading last night a little bit about how um, the brain learns fascinating stuff the only way the brain learns the only way that it develops new pathways and new is by th actually encountering new data so those of us who don't think anymore our brains don't grow anymore 
You know what they tell you to do if you want to make your brain grow? They say simple stuff like this. Next time you're sitting at your computer, instead of holding your mouse with your right hand, hold it with your left. And I, I was reading it. I'm on the computer reading it. I'm thinking, that's stupid. Until I switched the mouse to the left hand, and I was like, this is hard. I don't, and you know what I did? I don't like this. I put it right back there and did it with my right hand again. Drive home a different direction. Turn the GPS off. Think. And I realize this because people will ask me directions to my very own house, and I realize that I don't know the street names to my house. Because when I drive to my house, it's just like, oh, there's that tree I turn here. I know how to get home. It's very comfortable for me. But I don't know how to tell somebody how to get to my house because I don't know. They're like, well, what street is that? The one with the green sign and white lettering? I don't know what to tell you. Drive home a different way. And you'll be amazed at how uncomfortable it is. And then now it should make us understand people a little bit better, right? When they come to Jesus, he changes them from the inside out. He doesn't just improve them, but he radically changes their lives. And then we get mad at them because they go right back to what they knew. Because that's what human nature does. They go right back to what they know because it's comfortable. It's our job it's our job to stand with them, to teach them that they have a new surrounding. They've got new friends so they can stay through and have not just change but lasting change. I'm going to challenge you, okay? I mean, some of you, we need to pray for you because you need to be changed, not just improved. But most of us in this place, I mean, God's putting, he's bringing us together as a church, as a body, so that we can live near God in order to be sent to those far from him. When, you go, when you're sent to those far from Jesus, you encounter the story that we just read. You encounter drama. You encounter things that are uncomfortable. That's what you face. And if we don't go committed to them, we'll never, we'll never stay. We'll, just be, we'll be happy that they just improved a little bit. Oh, they, they only texted me three times today with their drama. Things are getting better. But God's looking for a church to be in it for the long haul, to make disciples that will last. That's what he wants at the gathering. Are you committed to that? Are we as a body committed to that? And I pray that we are. God, I pray right now for us here. One, I pray for us that we know you. God, that we would not be some people who drag somebody to Jesus and beg him to touch them. But that we would be people who would take others by the hand and lead them to you. That we would be committed, God, to living through their drama to not stepping out because of it. God, that we would not step out just because it gets uncomfortable. Lord, in our own lives, we would be honest with you with desperation in our hearts, God, about how you're moving in our lives, that we wouldn't put the smile on, pretend to be a certain way when we're not. So that we can model to those that you're going to send us to what it means to honestly live for you. To expect you to touch us 
to expect to be changed. God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to distance ourselves from the things that tell us about the old identity that we had. We have been made new in Christ. We walk with a new heart, a heart that beats for the lost. God, I pray that you would send us because of that. Send us, God, to those who need their identities changed. We pray right now, God, for family members. We pray for coworkers, for students in our classes, for friends who are far from you. They do not need another program. They've got to have you touch them and change them. And God, all we can tell you right now is we're committed to that. We are committed as a body to the process of change, not just improvement. God, save us from wonder bra religion. I don't want it. I want to be changed by you. At whatever cost, I want to be changed. Here's the question for you. One, do you know Jesus? And if you don't know him, I, know him is the wrong word. We're in the South. Most people know Jesus. Have you committed your life to Jesus Christ? Have you said, I'm in it. I'm all in with you, Jesus. I'm not going to get out because it gets uncomfortable. I'm all in. If you have not made that commitment, that's why you're here today. You're here to make that commitment. Just a minute when we close and people are getting coffee and music's playing, I'm going to stand right here. You come up here and let's pray about you serving Jesus. If you're here today and, and you, you're sad because you relate more to that blind man than you do to being the people that go and reach blind people, <laughs> we're right here. Come up, let's pray about it. Let's take the time to pray before you head out those doors.